This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Afternoon, Cherries fans, and welcome to this latest episode of A Blast From The Past. Now, this is where I bring back old shows that I did in the past with special guests. So we had Professor Brian Cox that went live on this channel a while back. Of course, thank you again to Sam Davis from Back of the Net for allowing us to use this footage. But I also interviewed somebody when we played Luton. And, of course, we played Luton uh, twice in the championship. Um, and during that time, um, I spoke to somebody who knows their journey all too well. The reason he knows it all too well was he was the chairman between 2008 and 2017. You'll also recognise him from the television as well. So it is a pleasure to welcome on Nick Owen. Afternoon, Nick. How are you? Hello. Good to see you. And you as well. Well, firstly, someone of my age recognises you as being a famous face when it comes to TV presenting. But to those that don't perhaps know you, can you tell us, uh, our viewers, a little bit more about your media background? Yeah, well, I mean, essentially, I'm a journalist. I started in newspapers ooh, 51 years, 52 years ago now. And after doing that for a few years, I, I got into local radio just when it was beginning to start on BBC. Um, and then uh, I got a phone call inviting me to have a go at television. So back in 1978, I joined what was then ATV and became Central TV. Uh, uh, as doing sports presenting and, and uh, commentating and reporting. I commentated on the 1982 um, World Cup, actually, in Spain. Saw a young man called Diego Maradona that I uh, didn't know much about at the time. Thought he was quite good. Okay. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but I got a call to say uh, they were going to launch a new breakfast station the following year called TVAM. Would I be interested in coming along as a sports presenter? And I thought, hmm, a bit of a gamble, but, you know, it's exciting, pioneering stuff. And so I did. I joined um, TVAM and I was there on the very first day on air presenting the sport, 1983, February. Um, astonishingly, within eight weeks, I was asked to become the main presenter. So I replaced David Frost and presented with Anna Ford, Angela Rippon and a few other people before the management said to me, 
um, we're changing everything. Who would you like in a perfect world? And I said, Anne Diamond. And they said, who's Anne Diamond? I said, well, Anne actually was a co-presenter with me at Central TV. We're big buddies. We'd love to get together again. So six weeks later, Anne was sitting next to me. Um, I'd like to say, you know, it was a very successful partnership. And we did that for three or four years or so on breakfast telly. Uh, and I sort of got lured away to ITV Sport, back into sport, my first passion, my first love, and ended up doing a thing called Midweek Sports Special. And I uh, hosted the Olympic Games in 88 and the World Cup in 1990 and lots of other bits and pieces in between. And amazingly, I got invited by the BBC because this was all ITV. And BBC came along and said, do you want to get together with Anne again and do a mid-morning show? And I thought, yeah, I love working with Anne. We love doing, you know, um, current affairs, show busy things, a bit of everything, you know, a topical programme. That was a fabulous time as well. And then that came to an end. And uh, I then moved on to, because it came from Birmingham, Pebble Mill in the Midlands. I was asked by BBC Midlands Today, the regional programme there, if I'd take that over. And I've been doing that now since 1980, 1997. God, don't. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of other things in between, hosted three or four game shows and done lots of things like Wish You Were Here, Royal Television premieres and things like that. So it's been it's been a great experience and I, I'm still going strong, I'm glad to say. Fantastic. Well, of course, you're a massive Luton Town fan. When did your love for the club begin? Way back in 1958. My father used to go. We, um, we came from a little town called Burmstead in Hertfordshire, which is about 30 miles from Luton. And so when I got really interested in the game, um, he took me to my first game, which was September the 3rd, 1958, Luton v Leeds. We drew one all. First goal I ever saw was scored by a guy called Alan Brown from a left wing cross by Jimmy Adam. <laughs> I, can still see now. I can still remember walking into the ground for the first time and seeing the beautiful green grass and goals with nets on. You know, you've got to remember at that time, you never saw football in colour. You never saw football on telly anyway, except on the cup final, and that was black and white. All the pictures yeah. in the newspapers are black and white. So you go to a ground for the first time, and suddenly, whoosh, it was all sort of in colour. It was absolutely thrilling, and I was so hooked that uh, nothing has changed ever since. And I've seen a game every season since then. Well, hundreds of games every season since then, but not at the moment, sadly. I haven't seen a game since February. Well, hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll be able to get back into the stadium as soon as possible. Um, I know that we had two games where fans could get back into the ground, but unfortunately, it's all gone backwards again. So hopefully, once the vaccine starts to roll out, we should be able to get back into the stadium. But going on to your uh, when you actually joined the club, um, you took over as chairman in 2008, but it was following a very turbulent time for the club um do tell us a little bit more about the situation you inherited there well i mean uh, in in 2006 luton town were in the playoff places or close to them in the championship yeah then things started to go badly wrong we got relegated from the championship into league one we got relegated the following season into league two. we had our third administration in 10 years so when I came along or was invited along to be the figurehead of a consortium who wanted to put money into the club and try and save it, we were entering League Two, waiting for our punishment for all the administrations, etc., and got the dread, dreaded news that we were being deducted a total of 30 points. So we started the season 2008-9 on minus 30 
which I still think is absolutely outrageous. Um, yeah. uh, we all felt that bigger clubs wouldn't have been dealt with quite so harshly. And it's unthinkable. It was the heaviest punishment meted out to any football club in Europe, let alone in our country. So um, at that stage, we had got together as a consortium and we had to face the start of that season, 2008-9, on minus 30. And it was pretty tough old time but we had had three administrations in 10 years which was seen as pretty reckless and you see that but the trouble is that it's the, the fans that get penalized the people who really care about the club and so it was a very very difficult time but i'll have to say it was one highlight in that first season because we won the johnson's pay trophy um against all the odds really the final was a fantastic day we had forty-two thousand luton fans in the ground at wembley and we were playing Scunthorpe, who were near the top of League One and about to go into the championship. And we beat them in extra time. So, you know, take that one day in isolation. Sensational. Great memories. But overall, a couple of weeks later, we were relegated into the conference. That was tough. Really tough. And it was incredibly harsh, you know, from my memories of that season as well, of all the punishments given out, because we wasn't dealt with so harshly as Luton were, um, but both ourselves and Rotherham got deducted 17 points. We had our own great escape. It's a lot of Cherries fans like myself will believe that our club wouldn't be here had Eddie Howe not turned it around and we'd gone into the conference. What was the mentality at that at the start that season? Of course, Sheffield... Wednesday this year have started on it was minus 12 but it's been deducted to minus 6 now um, you know minus 30 did you think straight from the beginning that it was too big a deficit to turn around um, yeah just incidentally uh, Sheffield Wednesday appealed against their minus 12 and got it down to minus 6 as you say we were told we couldn't appeal can you believe that we it's crazy we it was so harsh, yeah. I, I totally agree with what you say there. Anyway, um, well, obviously, we thought we were up against it. It was horrendously tough. But we did think, you know, we'll give it a go and see what we can do. And, I, you know, in terms of a normal season, we would have finished mid-table on the points or the, the, the results we had. But um, by Christmas, when we're still virtually only hovering around naught, it was looking impossibly tough. Uh, I don't see how any team can overcome that deficit. So we faced up to it and basically we were building for the future all the time um, and planning our back, knowing that we were likely to be in the conference. Um, but it was a sickening blow for a team that in 2006, as I said to you, had been in the championship and uh, suddenly we were in the conference. It was, uh, it was quite a shock to the system. But having said that, the conference was a great experience. It was five years, you know, it took us to get back. It was a great experience, yeah. met so many Wonderful people who love football are involved in their football clubs for one reason, love of the game, love of their community, love of the football club. And I found it um, quite exhilarating meeting some of these people. And I would say uh, Luton fans have probably visited more different grounds in the football pyramid in this country than fans of any other club because, you know, we're used to playing Anfield and Old Trafford and so on. Uh, we're also used to playing at Hayes and Yedding and Histon and Telford and Tamworth. So <laughs> it's been a very varied, roller coaster, interesting um, experience being a Luton fan. Wouldn't change it for the world, but uh, was a very tough time and year after year trying to get back into the football league where we felt we belonged, obviously. Uh, it, it seemed to get tougher every time. 
And as a Bournemouth fan, it, it was sad to see Luton go down that season. Um, they've always seemed a similar size to ourselves. And, of course, Kenilworth Road is one of those landmark grounds of English football where you have to go through somebody's back garden to actually get to, into the stadium. So it's an amazing place to go to if nobody, anybody hasn't been. With yeah. those conference years, you had a couple of attempts where you got into the playoff final um, and the first year, was it uh, AFC Wimbledon um, that you was beaten on penalties quite harshly? Um, Luton were the better side throughout that game. And then the following year, it was York 2-1. Uh, tell us a little bit more about those experiences. Yeah, I mean, we actually got to the uh, semi-final of the playoffs in our first year in the conference, but uh, lost out Oak City. But yeah, the, the final which took place at the Etihad against Wimbledon was settled on penalties. Yeah. That was absolutely devastating because right near the end of extra time, Jason Walker, our striker, headed onto the pole. Uh, the angle of the post as well. It could have gone in, but it came back, you know, at an angle. Yeah. That was agony to lose on penalties because, you know, we just had to get back to the football league. So that was a shattering moment. And then <clears throat> the following year, I think it might have been, we played York City. And um, I mean, it's well known now that we lost to an offside goal. Um, so that was pretty uh, demoralising as well. But you keep going. And in the end, we won it in glorious style. Uh, managership of John Sill, who did a wonderful job at the club in so many ways. He turned the whole atmosphere within the club because there's a bit of a toxic feeling between fans and, and the club mm. um, and, and toxic feeling about life in general in football. And John Sill quelled it all, got everyone pulling together. And we won, as I say, in absolutely cavalier style and got back into the Football League. But um, it was tough going at times. It really was hard. And... Um, you know, some very intricate sort of outposts in the conference um, pyramid. It was, it was hard going. But I, I did, you know, enjoy the experience in many ways, I said earlier. And, and it's experience now that I wouldn't have missed. But my goodness, it was so tough. So tough yeah. for everyone involved in the football club. But I have to say, our fans were sensational. We averaged getting on for 8,000 uh, at some game in the conference. We took thousands to away games. Sometimes we, you know, trebled the uh, average gate at a, at a conference club when we played them away just by taking all our fans to the games. And on top of the loyalty of the fans, which was outstanding, and they could easily have dropped away, as you can imagine, um, it was the investors, the guys who put money into the club when it seemed such a tough cause. I mean, just getting out of admission costs so much money because you have to a, pay off all the creditors, and B, put in the money to prove that you can survive for the next three years, and so on. There's lots of detail, which I'm not totally au fait with, because I wasn't involved in that aspect of it. Um, but it, it's a big ask for people to do that, and it could just be money down the drain if it doesn't work. And these guys have been rewarded now, uh, I'm not saying financially, but in terms of um, emotionally, psychologically, to see their football club way back up in the championship. It's a great time. Just talking about Bournemouth, uh, I, say, I, I agree with you that uh, it was desperately harsh on Bournemouth and Rotherham as well. And it gave me great pleasure as a Luton fan to see Bournemouth rise up the leagues um, and say stuff you really to the, the powers that be. And Rotherham, they did all right, didn't they? Um, yeah, they have. Them. I, I can't believe how harsh it was at the time. And I can't imagine it'll ever be as harsh again. 
but uh, in you know 2008, whenever it was, oh dear, a, a, a totally separate connection with Bournemouth. You know, um, my lovely friend Anne Diamond, her, you know, she grew up in Bournemouth after Malvern in Worcestershire. Her family moved to Bournemouth, so she's, um, you know she's still got family in Bournemouth, and so I, I've been down to Bournemouth with her in my time. And I've got a very close friend of mine who's formerly a Luton supporter and we grew up together. He lives in Bournemouth, but I'm afraid he's turned. He supports Bournemouth now. Still speaking. Has he? <laughs> well, Luton appointed Nathan Jones in January 2016. Um, so it was towards the end of your time as chairman there. Um, and he seems to be much loved at Kenilworth Road. How did the guys behind the scenes manage to convince him to leave Brighton, who were a side that were really very much on the up. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Well, I mean, from what I know, and I don't hire and fire, as when, incidentally, when I, when I was asked to be chairman of Luton, the BBC, for whom I work, said, well, you can do it, but you can't hire and fire, you can't do executive decisions, you can be a figure, um, which is what I was. Um, so, you know, all credit to our chief exec, Gary Sweet, and um, the people who advised him, football people who advised him, and the board of directors all getting together and looking at the options. And they, they fancied someone who was young, ambitious, hungry, had modern, forward-thinking ideas, and someone who had a little bit of a connection with Luton, because, you know, um, Nathan Jones was on the books as a player at Luton yeah. uh, way back in the 90s when David Pleat was manager. He didn't particularly make it as a player at Luton, but he went on to have lots of coaching experience on the continent and then coached experience at Brighton he's seen uh, and Charlton I think he's just seemed the perfect guy and after they interviewed him they were ferociously impressed with him and uh, he came in and did a wonderful job and he is much loved by the Luton fans but there is a bit of a caveat because he went away and to Stoke City to everyone's surprise so um, everyone is absolutely furious about it angry really angry and it's taken quite a while for him to win fans back to be honest it's amazing that he has come back i wouldn't have thought it was remotely possible how bitter people were about his departure to stoke but having said that it was a wonderful uh, decision and a brave decision by our directors to uh, get him back at a time when he'd lost his job at stoke and luton fans would have said that's the last thing in the world we want is nathan jones to come back but he came back and did a phenomenal job keeping us in the championship last season. There were about nine games to go. We were six points adrift, and he kept us up, and he's done a really good job ever since. So all is well now, and he is really very, very popular guy. Um, but found the time that he left so suddenly, the beginning of the transfer window a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. that was tough for Luton fans to stomach. Yeah, most definitely, and I can understand the feeling there as well. 
Um, of course, we had our own situation with Eddie going to Burnley, but he did come back and the remarkable job he's done, well, did ever since um, until last season, you know, we'll be forever thankful for um, because we are a small club, but a club that a meteoric rise. But when you step down from your position, Nick, you know, of course, you made Luton Stable Club. Um, did you imagine reaching the championship so quickly? Well, I mean, um, yeah, you say I made the club a stable club. Honestly, I can take no credit for that. I was just part of the team. It was the investors and the people who made the decisions who did all that. But I was proud to be part of it. Very proud to be part of it. Um, well, the ambition was to get back to the championship um, by 2020, the year 2020. And the consortium called themselves 2020. So they sort of did yeah. it, didn't they? Um, and it was also hoped that we'd have a new stadium by around about 2020. Well, we got permission for it in 2020 and hopefully it'll come, you know, within the next two or three years. It's it's all, you know, going ahead very well. It's not easy with a pandemic, of course, you can imagine. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm perhaps surprised how quickly we got through League One. I thought we'd go straight through League Two when we were promoted. Um, but that was a bit tougher than we expected. Um, but we did get up. And then the first season in League One, whoosh, straight through and won it. And that was a pretty amazing you know, thing. Because you know, t two years earlier, we'd been playing, uh, say, Tamworth or Ebbsfleet. Suddenly, we're playing Sunderland in front of up to 47,000 crowds. Yeah. Uh, all quick. And it just seemed crikey. We really have come up quickly. And we ended up above all that lot and won that title, and having been uh, deprived of our manager mid-season, Nathan went off to Stoke, Mick Harford took over, who is the legend of all legends at Kenilworth Road, and um, steered us to the championship in glorious style, uh, winning the title, and up we went. And then, you know, it was very tough going in the championship our first season. I mean, the comparative budgets, I know small clubs go on about this all the time, but it is relevant, you know. How do you attract the best players if you can only be paying them, um, you know, a quarter or less than other clubs are offering? Very difficult. Um, but uh, I'm a great believer, and I know we are at the club, um, in the word team. You're getting the right blend. You don't have to have superstars who cost 50 million to, to, to bring in and who are on, you know, 50,000 a week or more. And there were players last season on 100,000 a week in the, uh, the championship. Um, it's all about getting the blend, the team, everyone working for everyone else. And um, when Nathan came back in a space of nine games, we just had a brilliant run and, and, and stay up. And that's what we did again this season. We, I mean, I, I accept that we're going to win some, lose some. But if we do that, that's enough to stay up and finish, I hope, mid-table. But um, we're ambitious. We certainly want to be at the top end. And the target is, ultimately, the Premier League. And we mentioned you mentioned it earlier on. Um, of course, Kenilworth, much-loved stadium, having to walk through the gardens. Love. But for Luton mm. to grow, you and movies really need is isn't it, Nick? So can you tell us a little bit more about Power Court, as it seems like, work's going to commence pretty soon. Yeah, well, Power Court is um, uh, an area that used to have a power station on it, hence the name. It used to be a great big cooling yeah. tower. You know, in the centre of Luton, this was. So, you know, it is brilliant that they've got a site uh, in the middle of the town. 
couldn't be better from a transport point of view. Uh, I mean, a lot of clubs, as you know, have grounds out of town now, which are growing anyway, so lots of space, but somehow uh, don't always recapture the soul of the original ground. And I think we will, because it's right in the middle of town. Um, it's, uh, it'll hold, we reckon, about 18,000, but it'll have the capacity to go up. Um, but, you know, we're sort of at this stage, we've got a fairly modest ambition of 18,000. That's still a decent crowd. Uh, but almost equally importantly is the fact it'll have so many facilities. As you know, football grounds in days gone by only were properly used once a fortnight for a football match. Now they have to be used 14 days a fortnight, really, to try and capitalise on the space and the facilities, etc. they've got. And the new ground will We'll have those sort of facilities for conferencing and things like that. And, and the, the whole area is going to be really uplifted in the centre of Luton. And there's talk of having a cinema and a health centre and restaurants and loads of um, residential um, accommodation around the ground, which will all be owned by the Luton Town Football Club initially. Um, and that, you know, will be a great source of income for the club. So um, one way or the other, it's a very exciting time. Um, and we hope, you know, they will start digging sometime this year but you know the pandemic has held things back a bit but we are forging ahead and i'm very hopeful that uh, and certainly the the developers are hopeful that we'll be playing in the new ground in 2024 excellent well moving on to this weekend's game um of course it's the second game in quite quick succession and it was a nil nil draw between us in should we say it was a little bit drab it wasn't um Luton set out to stop Bournemouth, but it wasn't the most exciting game of football, I'm sure you'd agree, Nick. Do tell us a little bit more about the standout players in the Luton squads who we should be looking out for this weekend. Yeah, I mean, I didn't think it was that bad a game, actually, and I thought we played quite well. And I was pleased with the way we played and we created chances. Yeah. Could have won it, but... Uh, uh, and. Mm, I'm not so sure we set out just to stop Bournemouth, but because um, I think we've got a lot of fair players ourselves. So, yeah, uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't let you get away with that one. But that apart, um, well, someone who's been man of the match many times this season is a guy called Kieran Dewsbury Hall, who we've got on loan from Leicester City. He really is a quality baller and um you know can dictate a game he's got so much skill so much vision scored a lovely goal the other day for us to beat uh, bristol city i think it was um but we've got other players who on their day you know can really catch the eye james collins a lot of goals um he's a good old-fashioned solid center forward who gets in there where it hurts you know uh, and takes his chances we've got um a goalkeeper who had a horrendous start with us, Simon Sluger, who's a Croatian international, um, who's just given birth, or his wife's just given birth. Sorry, he's not that brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> both our goalkeepers, our two, you know, mainstream goalkeepers, have both uh, produced in the last week or so. Um, and he, he has turned to an absolutely brilliant goalkeeper in terms of shot-stopping from impossible situations. Um, we've got Sonny Bradley, who is our centre-half, who's about nine foot tall, and he stops everything in the air, and he's become an inspirational captain, I think, recently. Um, uh, up front, you know, uh, when he comes on, often as an impact sub, Kazenga Luar-Luar catches the eye because he's a very, very skillful player, twists and turns and whatever. We've got a guy who uh, Bournemouth fans remember, Harry Cornick, who yes. um, is a very dangerous player because he's immense pace. 
Um, and I think he frightens defences because if he gets a decent run, he will outstrip anyone. Uh, and he scores some valuable goals for us. And he's a very good out player, you know, for us to, um, coming out of defence, if Harry Cornick's up there, bang the ball up to him and he will really stretch people. But I would stress that it is not a side of stars. It is a side of team players. And um, they've rotated uh, very much this season. Um, and one player I must pick out, actually, is a guy called Pelly Ruddick Mapanzu. He played for us in the conference. We signed him from West Ham in the conference. He was an outstanding player in the conference and he's still an outstanding player in the championship. He scored in all those divisions, conference, league two, league one, the championship. It's quite something, isn't it? Um, oh, yeah. To be able to pull those divisions up. Someone we're very proud of. <clears throat> and someone who we're also very proud of who recently moved was James Justin, our right back. Well, a left back he played for us, but he's really a right back, who's gone on to do so well at Leicester City in the Premier League. Came through... Um, from about the age of eight. But anyway, he's not playing for us now, but we uh, we absolutely love that guy, someone we're very proud of. Just uh, while I think about it, talking about Bournemouth and games that we've played in the past, one of my outstanding games involving Bournemouth was a game when I first came to Birmingham, because I, I worked in Birmingham in newspapers and local radio before I went to London yeah. to do breakfast telly and ITV Sport. And um, I saw Aston Villa play Bournemouth in about 1972, in the old Division 3, Aston Villa were top, Bournemouth were second. There was a crowd in Division 3 of 48,000 people. Can you believe that? 48,000 at Villa Park. And Villa won, I think, 2-1. And playing for Bournemouth that day were Ted McDougall and Phil Boyer. Wow, what players they were. And Villa had players like Rioch, who's an ex-Luton legend. So I loved watching Villa in those days. I couldn't get to Luton games. I'd often go and watch Villa. And they were getting crowds, as say, up to 48,000 in the third division. Stonking game it was. Anyway, of course, our, one of our ends is actually named after Ted McGadougall as well. The Ted Shed, we call oh. it. One player that is yeah. going to be back for the game um, on Saturday is going to be a Jack Stacey. A player oh, who no, did very, very well. Oh, he is going to be I'm, back. Yeah. Um, I'm tell him. Delighted. I'm delighted for him because uh, I followed his progress with great interest. He was absolutely terrific for us. Terrific player. Uh, and he, at right back, and James Justin at left back, were absolutely key players, pivotal players for us in winning promotion from League One. Um, not only were they good defenders, but they were brilliant, as you know, sprinting down and getting to the line and pulling it back. And yeah. James Collins, who I mentioned earlier, so many of his goals were due to the wonderful breaks down the right by Jack Stacey. And it, another reason why it was so tough for us when we went up to the Championship, our two outstanding players... James Justin and Jack Stacey both left. So we go up and we weaken the side, you know, the way it goes, you know, all the time. But, uh, um, you know, we still did okay, okay in the end. But um, Jack Stacey was a marvellous player for us. I was really sorry to see him go. We're delighted for him to see him make progress. And it'd be lovely to see him, albeit via I, I follow, to see him playing on Saturday. and just hope he isn't quite as successful as he was with us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll do this with every guest I have on, Nick, you know what I'm going to ask you. Uh, if you've seen our previous videos, I'm going to put you on the spot. What's your prediction for Saturday? I think Luton might sneak it. I'm going to go for 2-1 to Luton. I think it'll be a tight game. We are playing with quite a lot of confidence at the moment. We just had a good win in the FA Cup um, against Reading. We beat Bristol yeah. City just before 
that. Um, the players are full of confidence. And um, I think being away from home is not as daunting for players as perhaps it used to be because there's no crowd. So um, yep. daunting is a bit of a strong word, but you know what I mean? Um, it, it's more of a level playing field. <laughs> Talk about mixing metaphors and all that. But it is a, a level playing field. It's just a game of football on a pitch. And the home and away advantage doesn't mean so much at the moment. And um, I, I'm very hopeful we'll do well. I, I'd be um, very happy with a draw, but absolutely delighted if we could win it. And who knows? Bournemouth are a lovely side. And I, I've got, um, you know, great admiration for Bournemouth. And um, who knows? Let's just see what happens. I'm looking forward to watching it because I think it'll be a good open game. Yeah, well, most definitely. Well, thank you so much for joining me on this show Nick, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you and all the very, very best for the future. Thank you. Good to talk to you. Thanks, Craig, very much. And good luck to Bournemouth in the future. Thank you so much, Nick. All the best. And thank you, everybody, for watching this latest episode of A Blast from the Past. Do check out all of our previous videos. Do check out that interview with Professor Brian Cox as well. Um, all the other interviews we've done with Joe Roach, Joe Partington, of course, Steve Fletcher, Super Steve Cook as well, um, of course, at QPR at the moment. So hopefully he's, it seems to be picking up there. So fingers crossed for him. It continues to go on an upwards trajectory um, and lots, lots more as well. But until the next video, thank you for joining us. Up the cherries and we'll see you in the next one. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.